Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we return to the listener library for a recommendation from our mysterious listener and Patreon supporter, Anna. Anna writes... Hello, I adore your show, and it has helped me get through COVID. You all are so funny. Oh, stop. And have such a great rapport. I don't think you've done Clarissa from Quiet Please yet. I would love to hear what you think actually happened in the story. Quiet Please was the brainchild of radio and screenwriter Willis Cooper, creator of another iconic radio series, Lights Out. Quiet Please debuted on the Mutual Broadcasting Network on June 8, 1947. In September 1948, the series switched to ABC and remained there until its final broadcast on June 25th, 1949. Every Quiet Please story was told in the first person by actor Ernest Chappell. Cooper's scripts utilized Chappell's everyman voice and natural gift for storytelling to create a sense of intimacy between performer and listener. This synergy between Cooper's scripts and Chappell's performances were arguably the program's greatest strength. Quiet Please is often categorized as horror, likely due to the notoriety of Cooper's masterpiece, The Thing on the Forble Board. But in reality, Quiet Please presented stories in a wide variety of styles, comedy, romance, science fiction, and even fantasy. No matter what the genre, though, every Quiet Please story had one thing in common, a slow, deliberately eerie pace. So with no further ado, here is Clarissa from Quiet, Please. First broadcast April 19th, 1948. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. Quiet, please. I've told you that a dozen times. No, I can't prove it. Of course not. You'll just have to believe me. Take my word for it. I can't prove he was dead. You can't prove he wasn't. And anyway, what difference does it make now? I'm sorry. I, I can't hear you very well. Yes. Well, all right. It was an old black hell of a house, a house that has lived too long, a house 
house where the floors groaned in pain at night, where the windows shuddered at the gentlest touch of the wind, where door latches suddenly gave up their grip and let the night come sniffing into the house to paw at your eyes and wake you to the other silences that lay around you. It was never warm there. In the winter, old Heinz kept a fire going in the fireplace in the old sitting room, but the, the logs were scrawny and the draft was bad. And, and the flames seemed to grudge us their warmth so that we shivered all through the day. We're glad when night came and we could escape to the meager comfort of the drafty bedrooms. And in the summer, there was a dampness about the place, an unhealthy clamminess drifted from the walls and stirred uneasily among the ancient smells of decay that clung to the place. Well, I suppose you could call old Heinz a, a character. You said you didn't know him? An immigrant from the Rhineland sometime in the early 70s. That would make him, uh, let me see, how old? Ich war im Rheinland geboren. In der Jahrzeit 1862. That's right, uh, 1862. He was an old man, but he never appeared old. You might have taken him for a vigorous man of 60. His hair and his scraggly mustache were jet black. I suspect he dyed them regularly. And his blue eyes seemed as keen as those of a boy of 18. And he'd never been away from the house for a single night, he used to say, from the day he bought it and moved into it in 1888. And it was an old house then. Yes, I spent some very dreary days and nights in that house. Huh? I couldn't afford a better place to live. Well, oh, people don't go to live in a haunted house if they can find another place, you know. You've 
lived here alone for a long time? Yeah, for a long time. Long, long time. I'm used to it. Used to the lights and the little fire and the silences. Yes. It is cold for this time of the year. Listen. Mr. Lewis? I thought I heard someone singing. So? Did you hear anything? It is Clarissa. What did you say? Clarissa, my daughter. Well, I didn't know you had a daughter, Heinz. Yes. Uh, Mr. Morvine. Uh, no, thanks. I... I haven't seen her around. No. Well, is she... Excuse me, Heinz. Uh, you will forgive me, Jesse. Uh, she's a child. I do not wish you to be bothered. Why, she wouldn't bother me, Heinz. I like children. There's enough left here in the bottle for one more for each of us, huh? <sighs> Thank you, Heinz. And yes, Schlafwohl. And I drank the last of the wine with the old man. And then I climbed the creaking stairs to the dreary little room, carrying a kerosene lamp in one hand and casting... Fabulous shadows on the peeling wallpaper. Seeing the ancient plush-covered rocking chair nodding away at me as I entered the room. As if a startled occupant had suddenly deserted it at the sound of my footsteps on the stairs. And the cold spring rain drenching the window panes. And the murmured complaints of the beams and rafters of the old house. The musty fumes of the wine I had drunk kept sleep away for a while when I'd blown out the lamp. The melody of that children's song flowed again across my mind as I lay there. My thoughts wandered to the lonely child that dwelt in the haunted house with the old man and the newcomer student. I smiled to myself as I thought, now that settles the question of the house being haunted, doesn't it? People have heard the little girl singing to herself in the night. They've not known that a little girl lived here, too. Yeah, that's the ghost. And I smiled again at superstitions. And another idle thought struck me. I wondered at the child's age. Ten or twelve years old by the sound of her voice. And somewhere in the back of my drowsy mind, I seemed to remember that Heinz had told me that Elena, his wife, had died... Well, was it the year of the San Francisco earthquake? Well, that would be 1906. That would be 42 years ago. And this was a child of 10 or 12. I must have been mistaken. I was getting sleepy. The wine, the rain. The dark. I stood and watched him a long time, 
And I don't think he noticed how my eyes wandered to the windows of the old house, searching for a flash of color that might be a child's hair ribbon. Or how I listened for the sound of a young boy singing a little song, the children who danced so long ago on the bridges of Avignon. I didn't even notice that I was humming a song under my breath. about him. Well, I don't know, Heinz. 
If they come and ask me... Listen. Listen. I tell you something. Well? Clarissa can't go to school. Well, why not? I, I told you it doesn't cost anything. It is not that. Well, then? She, she's not well. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry, Hines. Uh, look, uh, would you like it if I gave her a little of my time and, and taught her some of the elementary... No, no, please don't. Well, I'd be glad to. No. Well, have it your way, Hines. I don't mean to intrude on your affairs, but after all, a, a child... I'm sorry, Jesse. I thank you, but... No. All right. Forget it. But I couldn't forget it. A kindly old man. Yes, he was kindly. And a sick child who had never seen the inside of a schoolroom who was growing up to become, well, what? In an ancient, moldering house, a house that had lived too long, alone with a father born 86 years ago. I at night in the darkness with the house, grumbling and complaining around me. I thought about the plight of the child. Sometimes I could hear her song far away somewhere in the dank recesses of that crumbling house. And my thoughts revolved again about this mystery. Heinz said she was not well. Heinz would not allow her to appear. Was Clarissa some misshapen monster child that she must be pent up and never see the sun? Was she... I detest mysteries of that kind. I love the good, clean mysteries of abscissa and ordinate, the logarithm and anti-logarithm of the calculus and the grand old theorems devised by the ancients. But the fascinating mysteries of the human mind and of human behavior are alien to me. They're my hate. And my thoughts crept further and further away from the ten numbers as doubt and speculation about the child laid hold of my mind. The other night, how often I heard her sobs, I thought, sometimes close outside my door. And yet when I opened the door, there was nothing. And old Heinz grew more and more taciturn. He never spoke of his daughter. He seemed to avoid me by day and to disappear by night. But the summer came then, and the fall, and winter. My book was going badly. And my thoughts wandered. I must leave this place, I thought, or find out this mystery. And again I asked the old man if there was not something I might do for this pathetic child, this invisible, haunting voice. No, Jesse. There is nothing you could do. But Christmas is coming, Heinz. Uh, what can I get her for Christmas? No, why not, Jesse? What? My, her name... She died on the eve of Christmas. Well, uh, but Heinz, you owe it to the child. No. But let us not speak of it again. But to me, the thought of Christmas passing by this child was unspeakable. I determined that if the old man would do nothing about it, I would. You know, I had little money. There was so little I could do. But I did come into the town here, and I found a toy for her. I, I found one I could afford. A little woolly lamb, a 
eyes and a, a blue silk ribbon about its neck and a gay little blue flower in its mouth. I hung a little card about its neck that said, Merry Christmas to Clarissa. And on Christmas Eve, Hanks and I shared the last bottle of Ben Costler Doctor before the miserly little fire. And I gave him one of the handkerchiefs my little sister Miriam had sent me, and he gave me an old stone Krug with a heavy pewter top that he said came from Heidelberg. And we regretted that there was no creamy Pilsner Urquell to drink from it. Wished each other a happy Christmas. And then, in the night, I was awakened by a tiny sound. And I lay awake silently for a moment. And there was another sound. A hesitant little footstep. And a rustling at the dresser across the room from me. And I lay quietly and listened. <laughs> Is that you, Clarissa? Is that you, Clarissa? Came in the late 
again. And the raw smoke pelted against the windows and the whole house shivered. I heard her crying again in the night. And there was a quality in her voice this time that brought me out of the bed and into the hall. I called in alarm. Clarissa! I stepped back into my room and lit the kerosene lamp. And as I stepped out again toward the hallway, Heinz confronted me. What's my hunting, Jesse? Why can't you hear her, Heinz? Something's wrong, she said. No, go back by your room, Jesse. Oh, but Heinz, don't beat the Jesse. Go back. Now, Heinz, listen to me. Something's awfully wrong with that child, and I... I will take care of her, Jesse. Please, Mark. In your room. Now, see here. I... I take care of my own man, huh? Heinz. Heinz 
Just as I told you before, he died. He died there in my room, yes. What? Oh, yes. In the little half-light, I found the kerosene lamp and I lit it. I took the key from the floor where he dropped it. No. I found the room very easily. It was at the far end of the hall. I called. Clarissa? Clarissa! And there was no answer. So I unlocked the door. And holding the light above my head, I walked over to the bed. And there, lying on the bed, dressed in a pinafore that might have come out of the ten-year-old drawing in Alice in Wonderland, clutching a little woolly lamb to her breast, there lay a tiny old, old woman with long white hair braided into pigtails. Clarissa. And I knew why I hadn't heard the little song for two days. And so when the lamp dropped out of my hand and the flames started licking around the dry-as-dust draperies and the fragile old oaken boards in the floor, I turned and went out of the house. Well, what else was there to do? The house had lived too long. And so had the father and daughter who dwelt there. Clarissa from Quiet, Please, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was a listener request going into our listener library from Anna, who said nice things and then wanted us to listen to Clarissa from Quiet, Please, and then said, because I would love to hear what you think actually happened in the story. And that's really disappointing because, Anna, I was hoping you would tell me. <laughs> I do have some thoughts. Save it for the podcast. Oh, oh wait. wait. <laughs> it was alluded to in our intro that people make the mistake that Quiet Please is horror. 
And it, it it's all over the map. It's storytelling, period. Willis Cooper didn't constrict himself to any genre. He just wanted to write a story. Uh, this, for me, this one was actually really, truly spooky and had me on the edge of my seat for a good portion of it, um, not knowing really what was going to happen. And nothing happened that I thought, that I guessed would happen. So um, that idea of hoping for me that, every, you know, please be a scary quiet, please. I finally got one. <laughs> Instead of, what do you mean they all turned into flowers? <laughs> That's super scary. But <laughs> if that happened in real life, you would scream like a baby. God, that's a good point. <laughs> Is that why baby screams? Because they just yeah. like, did you just turn into a flower? <laughs> <laughs> no, I left the room. <laughs> I'm off the topic, but. <laughs> so, uh, Joshua, being a Quiet Please huge fan, mm-hmm. uh, probably the biggest in this room. Other than talking Tim's- about my weight again, yeah, yeah, certainly <laughs> <laughs> the loudest quiet please fan. Um, I love it. <laughs> uh, had you heard this one before? No, I have not. Ooh. I eat ration quiet please. I am very <laughs> careful with it. So, like, pretty much, I think I have used up almost all the quiet pleases I've heard on this podcast. There are a few that I've heard that we haven't discussed, but the rest of them I'm just saving to listen for the first time for the podcast or if a listener like Anna right. brings it. Smart. Uh, I don't know where you have time to listen to any other radio shows other than what we're assigned in this podcast. Like. Radio is great because you can listen and do other things. Do you just stand perfectly still in the center of your house while listening to radio? I when I listen to radio and do other things, I, all right, stop, go back. Yep. Uh, okay, start it over. Ah. That is me, too. I have to stand perfectly still and listen. No, I can't do other things. I spent years listening to audiobooks when I had yep. small children. So I learned <laughs> to be able to process information in an audio form and still, like, while changing diapers. <laughs> Carefully listen to audio and then somehow kind of change diapers. Yeah. Uh, whatever. I'm, I got used to paying attention to the audio and not my children. <laughs> when you said... When I had small children, I thought there was like a quote from Lucy from Dracula. <laughs> um, do you think she was listening to audio as she was going around stealing children? Well, yeah. We're going to do anything but talk about this episode. No. <laughs> had you heard it, Tim? No, no. I think we should start with what we think happened, because I'm just dying to find out. To me, it's his daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And she lives with him, and for whatever reason, never left the house and uh, just grew old with him, right? I mean, it's not a ghost. That's how I read it. Yes, okay. Well. That is okay. the twist. It's a ghost story that isn't without a ghost because it's told very much in the style of a ghost story, well, which is what I enjoy about it. Specifically to my ear, kind of a riff on the fall of the House of Usher. Yes, there's that as well. It really leads you down the path of, oh, here we go, scary ghost story. And he even talks about ghosts. And it's that they really set you up for it to be a child ghost that he's hiding the fact from him, which makes for a a lovely twist. Other than his acceptance of all of this was more unnerving than what was happening. (laughs) There I thought... Cooper did a really clever thing. I, there was no accident that he was a mathematician, A. Yes. And B, working on a book that just kept him holed up in his room for days and days and days at a time. So it also suggested that, you know, he had himself rather cut off from the rest of the house. Yes. 
Um, but also he says he's more comfortable with logarithms and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anti-logarithms or whatever he was talking about. You're a logarithm. <laughs> and that he didn't understand the mystery of, of human connection. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important to that point, that otherwise you would wonder why he didn't do something. And he tried. He did say, yeah, yeah, if they come here, I'm going to have to tell on you. You know, mm-hmm. there was a lot of that. But not getting freaked out. Well, it's his choice. Back to my room. Like that part of it was I have as sinister as the rest of it. said that horror stories, many of them, are essentially stories about bad roommates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, and that in this case, like, he's a tenant and he's real respectful. Mm-hmm. So like, it's the opposite of a horror story. It's about yeah. a really respectful tenant. <laughs> I also made note, a spoiler, when you open up your wooden goat for Christmas this year, because that's what I'm getting you guys, a little, little goat with a... But wasn't it a lamb? Lamb. Sorry, goat, yeah. lamb. Well, <laughs> now I want a goat. Yeah. You like, promised me a wooden we goat. We get wooden goats. <laughs> Everybody who works on a farm that listens to this podcast just went, ugh. <laughs> whatever. Goat, lamb, whatever. All our goat audience oh. is real mad. <laughs> really, did. the cheese from each is very different. Uh, oh, uh, I don't want cheese from either one of that. <laughs> You're as small minded about cheese as you are about old time radio. I'm small minded about everything. <laughs> you know what? I like cow cheese, it's good. Well, you don't have to invent anything else. Yeah. Stop pulling on things on animals and taking what comes out of them. <laughs> And turning it into cheese. <laughs> the one thing that in this, that by the end, it seemed like that is the one sort of vague, indecipherable, maybe mysterious, uh, um, saying the same things over and over again, is why this daughter reached a certain age and behavior-wise never aged any further than that. And I think that's Anna's question. Uh, but just to make sure, let's maybe elaborate on our interpretation The idea to me is that he suspects that it's a ghost, as we said. At the end, he finds Clarissa laid out. She's an old woman, but still dressed as a child. Mm -hmm. And to Tim's Fall the House of Usher comment, uh, there could be some supernatural quality there in the end, that they both seem to die at the same time. Hines appears as if he's aged 20 years, and then the house is burned down, and Mm -hmm. the main character says the house has lived too long as well. Yeah. But doing the math, since there's a mathematician in it, I think you could read this that the precipitating event was the death of her mother and that she uh, Mm -hmm. psychologically stayed at the age roughly that her mother died because he does mention that when he gets distressed about her receiving a Christmas present, that uh, her mom passed away Christmas Christmas Eve. Eve. And so that made me think, oh, and then he tries to do the math on how old... 42 years. Yeah, Yeah. 42 Mm -hmm. years. And then if you think, oh, she's maybe around 12 or so, that would put her at like 54 Mm -hmm. when he finds her in the room dead, which says her hair is gray. But then we also have the comment that uh, Heinz looks like he aged 20 years. And I took that as as a uh, signifying the two days of trauma he went through while his daughter was dying that... Not a supernatural aging, but bags under the eyes. You know, we look older when we've had bad when days. When he first describes the uh, the appearance of Heinz, it, it, like he has old guy, mm-hmm. uh, but that indicates he looks younger because he probably possibly dyes his hair and beard and then has the eyes of an 18-year-old. So this young, sprightly um, behavior, but still probably an old guy that is making himself look younger. 
Well, if you do the math again on when he says at the top when Heinz was born, and this has to take place in 1948, I think there's something in here that verifies that. So he'd be in his 80s based on the age. I thought they actually called his age out like 86. Oh, maybe they do. Yeah. I'd be wrong about that. So yes, that's how I interpreted it, and specifically that it was connected to her mother's death. Because also she's singing the song that was taught to her by her mother, and they underscore that a lot. But back to Tim's point about uh, his young eyes and... The narrator carefully says, I assumed he dyed his hair. Right. That's what called out to me when he said he aged 20 years that there might be something supernatural going on because then he points out the gray hair on Clarissa. I don't think that's definitive, but that's a lot of attention to his hair and the color of people's hair. And then also the narrator says his sister is a blonde. Hines says, oh, my Clarissa has dark hair. Yeah. So there's something important going on in, in there, I think. When Anna says, our listener, I want to hear what you guys think was going on, to me, we've come to a pretty cut and dry conclusion, the three of us. What are the other options that it could be? Because I don't really see any other option than what we've just discussed for this story. I mean, I think you'd have to really struggle to read it any any other way. way. Yeah. Although Willis Cooper's outro of these characters are neither alive nor dead. They exist in my imagination. That oh. could just be being glib, but it's also that it's meant to be ambiguous in a sort of limbo state in this shell of a house. And because there's so much strange stuff about both their age, I think that's where you could read into something at the very least supernatural. And he keeps talking about ghosts, ghosts, ghosts. But right. a lot of that just doesn't add up. Uh, the other but reason he is... Did, he, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but at the, at the outro, said, you know, both the house and its inhabitants had lived too long. Yes. So lived suggests they were alive, but that could also just be an expression as well. And clearly, Hines was alive because the framework is him being interrogated, presumably by the police or some other authority about uh, there was a dead body in here, but they only mention Hines. They don't mention finding the body of Clarissa, which goes to possibly being something supernatural. I also assumed Hines was 57 years old. I knew I'd get it in. That went over better with Tim than me. I just want to point that out. <laughs> Tim laughed. Joshua shot me the, yeah. I'm going to edit that out, glare. Well, no, well Tim loves ketchup. You, just, oh. you were playing to your audience. <laughs> oh, I could tell you some ketchup stories. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to point out that it goes against any sort of ghost is how upset or agitated Heinz gets when uh, the narrator intimates that by not sending her to school, authorities could come to his house. Hmm. He was nervous about someone finding the physical Clarissa. I don't think you'd be worried about the police showing up and finding out you had a ghost of your daughter in the house. Unless you're, if you were uh, keeping your disturbed adult daughter yeah. at home, they might take her away. Also, though, it could be the fear of, well, you're going to find out I'm nuts. You're not going to believe me. When I tell you that my daughter's a ghost living in the house and you're going to take me away. So that, there is a two-edge to that, too. Yep. That's the, the line that is odd for me, that whatever state Clarissa is in, it is such that Heinz feels comfortable enough to talk about it a little bit with the host, but never wants him to see her. So it's a mostly secret for some reason. It might be the fear of someone taking her away, mm-hmm. but it's really extreme reaction 
which is what makes it an interesting story, I suppose, is that yeah. really extreme reaction, but to mostly hide someone completely away from the world. But if she's really 55, 60 years old and is still going around singing and giggling and speaking in a child's voice, uh, I think it is fair to ha- feel like there might be some stigma attached to that or, or a fear of it from an 80-some-year-old man from a different country and a different mm-hmm. time than Especially the narrator. a German guy. Yeah, yeah, and this is 1948, 48. so it's, yep. it's interesting even that it's a German. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that that really is that relevant to the story. I couldn't... I'm trying to remember, he immigrated, I thought they said, like in 1880? So a long time ago. So he, mm-hmm. he's been in this country. Yeah, lose the accent. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, uh, five or six minutes before I could acclimate to the actor's accent. Yeah. I could not understand him. And then I finally picked up on, it was like train spotting. Like, oh, I got the accent. exactly like train spotting. Accent wise, (laughs) not the bathroom scene. (laughs) But when Clarissa crawled on the ceiling. That was creepy. That was creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Although back to something strange and supernatural, at the very top, when... The narrator is trying to remember when Heinz said he was born. There is a German voice that comes in. And this mm-hmm. is after he's dead, mm-hmm. as we find out. And I don't think that German voice, it sounds just like Hans, is not the person he's talking to. I never really parsed out what that particular line was. Yeah. It's, well, it's in German. That's why you can't understand uh, it. Um, ah. <laughs> uh, so I'm... You looked it up. No, I, I learned I, German for the podcast. <laughs> I'm not my fluent. Free time. In, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, you know, I have it on an audiobook, so it's really easy for me to learn. Um, and I vacuumed everybody's house in the neighborhood. <laughs> um, that's an odd structural thing, don't you yes, think? Yes. In that moment, because it's the one time that happens, and and so that sent me down this rabbit hole of trying to look at it through the idea that they were possibly both ghosts or maybe now <laughs> the ghost. but i think it is just a cooperism it's like a playing with structure and and it's probably just a red herring oh yeah it's also just cooper like okay i'm gonna have to have another actor in this so i might as well do something interesting with him yeah but it's only that one moment you know? yeah yeah maybe it was like a nephew <laughs> <laughs> or somebody that won a contest <laughs> I mean, we've talked so much about just figuring out the a puzzle. Seven contest, yeah. <laughs> Win a cameo on a quiet plea. <laughs> Send in your labels. Thank you, Adam, for sending this request for the for the yet to be invented Heinz Fifty Seven. <laughs> or maybe it was. I don't know. We've been making a lot of ketchup jokes. Uh, Can we stop calling Heinz Fifty Seven ketchup? It's a whole other. Um, is it sauce. what is it? It's a sauce. Is it a ketchup? I thought it was a ketchup. No, it's Aren't just a sauce. I mean, like a spiced ketchup. Yeah, sure. Everything can be categorized as a ketchup if you want. <laughs> Anna, I'm so sorry about this episode. <laughs> we need parameters on what is ketchup. <laughs> what do you think? A1's ketchup? A1's not ketchup. No, A1 is not ketchup. It's a like a poor man's Worcestershire sauce. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, okay okay tim tell him stop let's get out of here we're getting into this condiment war here it's, i love Worcestershire sauce I, I do too i think it's superior to uh a1, a1 yeah sure 
All right. Well, we've established that. <laughs> so that's what's going on in this episode. Yes. <laughs> so Anna, here's your answer. It's 57 is not ketchup. A1's delicious. And Worcestershire, it's got its place. In my mouth. <laughs> All right. Uh, do we have anything else to say about no, the story? No. Uh, there's some small details Sorry, I always Dad. like to um, <laughs> point out about uh, Cooper's writing, and I just think some of the descriptions of the house are really oh beautiful. Oh, yeah, and straight out of like he sounded like I am one of the classic early 20th century writers. Yeah, like turn of yep. the century ghost stories. Just the yeah. descriptions some... of the house. Uh, just some of his just small details he's so good at pulling out he describes a broken flower pot full of sharpened pencils on his desk and suddenly you saw that what his whole little tiny room looked like Mm -hmm. just based on that one little detail yep gray edges of dawn and the yeah i thought kerosene lamp and the half lights yeah cooper writes really well chapel delivers so eloquently that it's gorgeous to listen to him read the other thing i want to point out just in the context of other uh radio shows in general, but specifically this type of genre story, is that this is a rare story that is about familial love from a purely masculine Mm. point of view. Because from this era, most of the time, if it's about family, there's always going to be a mother involved, Mm -hmm. right? It's not something that is looked at through the lens of the male. Mm -hmm. So you have so much about the narrator missing his own sister, Mm -hmm. which is a great detail for many reasons. I mean, obviously it humanizes him a little more, even though he says he's a mathematician and doesn't understand the mystery about human interactions he clearly feels for his sister. It's also a nice little safety net to keep any quality of his obsession with wanting to meet and see this young girl as as it being purely like, oh, you remind me of my sister who's far away and I miss you. And, And also... Clearly, there's something disturbing going on with the father and the daughter, but you never get the idea that it's creepy at all. Again, right. it's a story of a father's love for a daughter, and I just protection. I can't think of, protection. Yeah, I can't think of another radio show about these subject matters that is just with two men. I can't. I doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but you're right that it's uh, out of the norm for the time. Mm-hmm. The other another Willis Cooper move that I just like when well, he does it. Like stop doing that because it's so awesome. Um, is when he gets to the story, like the old man died and I picked up the key and I'm talking a little bit and then, oh yeah, right, you want to know what happened when I took the key to the room and found Clarissa. Like, yeah. Yes, we want to know. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is, I got so engrossed by the story he was telling, it wasn't till the end that I remembered again, like, oh yeah, the house burns down and someone's oh, dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, so that's he, really good because he starts with this sort of heightened crime interrogation scene right. and you'd think you'd remember that but i didn't oh he's gone right i forgot until the very up. end i went oh right that was the opening who is he talking to does it matter i i just assume he's talking to the audience and the questions that the narrator's hearing are supposed to be questions that we as a listener would be asking mm-hmm. or is it in the interrogation room of it's the both. police okay I think we're supposed to think he's being questioned by some authority, whether okay. it's someone yeah, it's... immediately there at the scene or if he's been taken to the police station okay. later to answer these questions. Or, All right. I don't know who else would be asking him these tough questions. Some, His sister. The, yeah. <laughs> His sister. <laughs> 11-year-old sister. <laughs> I have another question. <laughs> Khrushchev. <laughs> Do you still have that lamb? 
Because <laughs> <laughs> this is how 11-year-old girls talk. <laughs> I now do voices on the podcast, apparently. Yeah, it, it was great. It was really, it's I, really I apologize. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. It was a goat, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Let's throw it to the vote. Tim, you get to start because you're looking at me. All right. I averted my eyes on purpose. <laughs> uh, Quiet Please is always tough to categorize because it's yep. always good. You can't necessarily fall in that trap of like, well, this is a typical sort of Quiet Please, so it's a good example, or it's an aberration, so it's interesting because of that, because they're Quiet all Quiet Please is an aberration of itself every time. I don't think I would call this one a classic. It's well-crafted, well-made, a fascinating study, but I think the whole package doesn't jump up the same way that other episodes of Quiet Please do. Hmm. I'm going to disagree and say that this is one of my favorite episodes of Quiet Please. Not only classic against other Quiet Please, but I'm just going to call it a classic. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed not really knowing what was going on, and I thought the ending was satisfying. Yeah, it is a gem of a story, but I could go either way, guys. <laughs> but my initial instinct is to go with Tim. Is that it, oh, it is a? It, is that right? Do you like Tim more? Is that yeah? The deal? I said my. I meant my initial instinct always, not just <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> uh, no, because and it isn't fair. It's competing with you know thing in the horrible board. Uh, you know, well, whence came you and things. So. It's not fair because if this were an episode of uh, you know Mysterious Traveler, I'd probably say classic. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I think it's important to not call every Quiet Please a classic because it, it elevates Quiet Please as a whole. Like the fact that this isn't a classic in my book just tells you how right. amazing all of Quiet Please is. This is sort of the standard he's set, so he has to go way above it to get the classic right. status. But he so desperately wants. <laughs> But it's it's really really good. It is so it's simple and tender and surprising in these really small subtle mm-hmm. ways. It is a ghost story without a ghost, which is terribly uh, fascinating concept. It is uh, a, a confession in structure that turns into basically a eulogy by the end for this mm-hmm. father and daughter, and it's just. I think really beautiful. I may be talking myself into classic. I really liked it, okay? Let's forget about categories and labeling things, people. It's a beautiful story. Thank you, Anna. <laughs> Way to get out of that. You're welcome. Uh, Tim, tell them stuff. Hey, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You'll find many other episodes there, including other episodes of Quiet, Please, if you want to actually compare to see, do you think this is one of the best ones? Do you think this is the middle of the road? What do you think? Uh, you can <laughs> Do vote. you think a lamb's a goat? <laughs> <laughs> you can leave comments. You can send us messages. If you, like Anna, would like to send us a request for something you want us to listen to, send us a message. We'll add it to our list. Uh, you can link to our social media pages you can link to our threadless store and get some swag or you can link to our patreon page yes you can go to patreon.com slash the morals and i'm sorry i just have to tell this story because <laughs> <laughs> we we're talking about goats and sheep and i i'll take it out if it's not funny but uh, i run a fancy cheese department and i once talked to a customer who honestly thought goats were males and sheeps were females so was horrified by the idea of goat cheese because she was like, what? How did they make that? And I, I can't remember what sort of labyrinth I went down to figure out why she was so confused by what goat cheese was made out of until he finally went, milk? And you went, milk, but it's goats almost, are boys. Like, it's almost, no. 
almost as good as the story that just happened the other day where a young lady found out for the first time in her life at the gas station that the 87, uh, 90, 91 was not the year the gas was made. Because <laughs> she ordered, I would like the new gas. Oh, no. Yeah. Anyway, what's going on at Patreon? Patreon.com slash the morals. Uh, you can support this podcast. So people who support this podcast get an episode with all the anecdotes cut out. So they, don't have to... <laughs> they just get to hear the old time radio talk. So <laughs> they're six minutes long. <laughs> uh, so please consider um, supporting this podcast. Thank you. And if you'd like to see us performing live, you can see us doing uh, audio theater. Live on stage uh, by going to ghoulishdelights.com to find out where we're performing and what we're performing. We do old-time radio classic reenactments, and we also do a lot of our own original work. Ghoulishdelights.com or MysteriousOldRadioListeningSociety.com. You can come see us or buy an online a virtual ticket and see us from wherever you are in the world. What's coming up next? Coming up next is my selection, a final resting place from the series Macabre. Until then. Look out! The music, the mood, the food, with something a little extra. I get a kick out of you. Heinz 57 sauce has a zesty, bold, exciting flavor that gives a little kick to all your favorite foods. Try Heinz 57 sauce. Cause I get a kick. It's like ketchup. We are looking at how to pronounce sometimes confusing names from the UK. So make sure to stay tuned to the channel How Do You Say It? Worcestershire. Stress on the first syllable. Worcestershire. Yeah, only three syllable. That's odd, isn't it? Worcestershire. Worcestershire, as in Worcestershire sauce.